Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 8, titled Slip. Had to You had to imagine what was going to happen in this one with an yeah. evocative name like Slip. Yeah. Bad bad news for next week's title, Fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds, sounds pretty bad. We kind of all know it's coming, though, right? Yeah. I mean, this is something we've been talking about. Like, how can Jimmy possibly stay out of trouble? It's so funny because after three seasons, I kind of forgot about that. I mean, I guess, you know, it's always been in the back of my mind, but there never seemed like there was an end of the runway for nice Jimmy. You know, like he got punished for this. and But, I, I you know, I, I I knew that he couldn't keep it uh, keep it going. Uh, yeah. What did you think of this episode? I actually thought it was really good. Um, I, I thought maybe the best part of it was that scene with Nacho trying to swap oh, the pills. Oh, fucking course. God that damn was, it, that was tense. That's how I know I love Nacho, because yeah. I was shitting my pants <laughs> right. the whole time. Just like, I, I was shaking and gulping, uh, just same same as he was. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great scene. Um, and, and I think, like, I'm excited to see Jimmy slipping again, honestly. Yeah. I really liked all of the Nacho and the Mike stuff uh, and the Kim stuff. I And I actually thought the Chuck stuff, Chuck trying to reclaim the outdoors. Um, I don't know what his angle is. It seems like it might be just, uh, this is a fucked up way to live and I need to get better. Yeah. Which might hint to some kind of reconciliation for him and Jimmy in the future. Like if, if he can see, like get some perspective about how shitty he's been and... Uh, but I actually found that the primary scam of Jimmy, like the slipping thing was fine with the Scalar brothers. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, the mug mealer stuff, I felt like that was just so contrived. And it's been a while since the Villa gang has donned the bacon gauntlet of ham-fistedness. I don't think I've seen them do it since season four of Breaking Bad. But I just felt like that was a really really hammy way to drive home the point hey legitimate business dealers bad they renege on their contracts they don't keep their word they don't keep their deals underworld lowlifes <laughs> are straight arrow and they will not if they tell you they're going to give you money for services they they follow through okay i, I wasn't and, reading any of that but oh really because no. i feel like that's exact i mean that's exactly what they're trying to get at and also i felt like his little scheme like i don't know maybe this parole uh supervisor or the community service supervisor is the dumbest son of a bitch alive but i just cannot believe he fell like for that hook line and sinker like i just feel as pig-headed and as arrogant as he is he yeah. would have at yeah. least given his like call and be like, "This guy's threatening to sue me because he hurt his back out here. What the hell?" And then he, they'd be like, "Yeah, well, tell him, you know, f- tough luck." Also, I looked this guy up, and he is not, sp- you know, like I'm saying, like like Jimmy. I don't know. It seemed dumb. It seemed dumb for Jimmy to to risk, you know, bucking bucking at the 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 goads here uh, when he's on probation and doing community service to atone for his misdeeds. Like I, I don't know, and and, and I don't. It, it's also just watching the slow destruction of him and Kim's relationship. That's not bad. It's just depressing. Sure. But I yeah. just, I, I just, I, I, the slip and trip was fine, but the laying down on the job gag and his, you know, it just, it didn't feel like a, a, an even match. Didn't feel like I, you know, I, I didn't believe the guy would be that stupid and he would act that way, and I didn't think it was necessarily that clever for Jimmy. So, okay, I liked. I guess four fifths of the episode, but I really didn't like didn't mm. like that part. 
I mean, the thing that excites me about it is Slip and Jimmy. Like, that's that's the inevitable slide towards Saul that sure. has to happen. So. Yeah, and, and we know he can't keep his nose clean for a year. Right. I just felt like that... I don't know, it's happening too fast or the way they're making it happen is just not as clever as I'm I've, I've as I expect um mm-hmm. and as subtle as I expect from the Villa gang, especially yeah. when some of this other stuff is just so good and so tense and I'm so involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, everything like I, the most of the stuff was good. I just thought those 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 instances were kind of uh kind of bad. Okay. Also how big a deal is Chuck's malpractice insurance going up two times? Like, they're treating this like it's a big deal. And I'm like... Well, it could be that they won't even insure him anymore. That would be a problem. If they drop him all together? Yeah. But he's not practicing law. So he, I guess, so is, I guess though, that, would be, that, that would be, that would be a, a more of a personal tragedy for him because now, like... <laughs> He's attacked Jimmy, and Jimmy uses like a reflective shield, and the attack rubber bounded on him, and now he's right. lo- he's effectively lost his ability to practice law. Mm-hmm. Um, huh? That'd be interesting. That'd be. Interesting. I think that's the only threat because HHM can easily afford whatever his malpractice or him himself is, or like, you know, can, Chuck yeah. is wealthy, yeah. very wealthy. Um, so yeah, I the just only felt, threat is being dropped. Yeah, I I felt like they set that up as Jimmy just kind of like pissing in his eye you know mm-hmm. it wasn't a threat it's more of an insult or an inconvenience but the way you know howard comes and pays a personal visit where he's waiting for him outside the return makes me think it's going to be a bigger deal seems like it and i mean maybe the insurance company isn't even dropping him but maybe this is you know the crack that i guess howard might not tolerate um in the whole thing because he's very much a man of image right yeah. and now that and- his firm's name has been dragged through the mud he's kind of like seriously pissed at Chuck. Yeah. Um pissed at Kim, pissed at Jimmy obviously, but also Chuck I feel because mm-hmm. Chuck is putting like doing all these things that he thinks are crazy yeah. and putting them in this situation. Man, Kim taking it to Howard was great. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I was like I I got so I got such a justice boner from watching that. I was on uh, the couch like, "Yes! Yes, go for the throat." And she actually went for the throat. She just tore it off. I think she slammed his scroat. In, in, yeah, slammed his scroat in the car door of her Mitsubishi and just pe- t- took off and just t- took the sack with it because she dev- he had no comeback because ultimately, she's right. ultimately this is his fault. Yeah. This is yeah. damage control he should have been doing three years ago mm-hmm. rather than using Chuck's lofty legal image to prop up the firm. And it's just a fucking chicken's coming home to roost. Taste it, Howard. Yeah. You do not like the taste. It's the <laughs> taste of your scrote being ripped off by Kim Wexler. <laughs> uh, so before we get to the recap, okay. uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Jimmy's office situation. Because I happened to be browsing around um, looking to see if Jimmy could do paralegal work or something uh, for Kim. Because, you know, she's taking on more work than she could possibly handle. Yeah, um, that's what and, I wanted I, too. If he he can't practice his law, but he could he do like doc review? And... He can. He can do like paralegal okay. type work okay. as long as he's not doing any direct um, like lawyer specific work. And I don't know what that is. Like but... he could represent a client. You probably couldn't draft right. a contract. He, he can't couldn't... sign anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't understand why he is such a. I I suspect that too. You've done the research. Maybe we can pass it through Doug L or any of our other lawyers on staff. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, the, listen. the thing that I I actually want to talk about is – so somehow I got to the ABA's website and I was looking mm-hmm. at the rules 
for uh, disciplinary actions, right. disciplinary orders on on lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and apparently there's this Rule 27 that says, and I'm going to quote like a paragraph from it, upon the effective date of the order, which would be like the suspension of Jimmy, mm-hmm. the respondent shall not maintain a presence or occupy an office where the practice of law is conducted. Well, then how the hell would we be a paralegal? That's a good question. Like from right. home, I suppose. Like yeah. he can have the document shipped to him and uh-huh. do it from home. Th- that's the weird thing to me because they say specifically, yeah, you can do paralegal work, but you can't maintain a presence or occupy an office where law is being conducted. What does that means does that mean? Like, but I you think can't he's have your breaking name that. on the building, or you can't ha- you can't be listed as a partner, right? Like, right. Can be, like what does maintaining a presence mean? mean? Dwelling within the building or having a cubicle there? Does that mean like right. you know? And what constitutes a building? Like a strip mall? Is that one right. building? Is that and ultimately it doesn't matter because in the Better Call Saul universe, this is what's happening. Sure. Yeah. So like you know, there's the, this is some stuff you just have to make your peace with that it's not yep. going to be 100 percent legally accurate. Indeed. A couple quick points before we proceed to the episode proper. Uh, we got a survey, a 2017 Bald Moves survey. Uh, it's at bcs.baldmove.com. If you don't support us in any other way, please take – it's just a couple minutes. Um, it asks us basically some some metrics on how we're doing as a podcast network of making you all happy uh, and also some basic demographic information that can help us on the advertising side of things. So if you've got a couple minutes and you would like to go to bcs.baldmove.com, it's anonymous. We don't take your email address. You're not going to get signed up for anything. Uh, it just, just does nothing but help us make the podcast better and us make more money. So And that costs you nothing. So help us out if you would. Uh, also, uh, some people from time to time, especially when we get busy like this, we have multiple shows going on each week. They're like, oh, man. Uh, it's so hard to keep up with what you're doing. You guys are clogging up my uh, podcast. I wish you guys had a combined feed. Well, surprise, we do. If you go to baldmove.com and click on the podcast link, there is a all shows uh, fire hose feed, we call it. So you can subscribe to everything that we do, and that way you won't miss anything. And there's a, there's a club version of that and a non-club, mem- non-club member version of that. Of course, we got Fargo. Uh, we just completed coverage of the leftovers. We got one more wrap up show for that. Uh, we'll prob. I don't know how we're going to do who won the week when it just becomes a mano a mano thing. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, but we have that. Uh, perhaps a final full strength bald move TV. Who won the week coming up? Uh, we just did a spoiler filled review of Wonder Woman for last week. We're doing Tom Cruise's vehicle, the Mummy, <laughs> the kickoff of Universal's dark dark universe. They're going to try to resurrect all of their old movie monsters. That's coming up this Thursday. Tons of stuff, as always, going on. Oh, I think Cecily and I owe everybody a uh, uh, American Gods and uh, Handmaid's Tale uh, recap coming up, too. All that's coming out at baldmove.com. Check it out. So maybe we should get to the recap. Yeah, let's do it. We start off with Jimmy and Marco breaking into his dad's old convenience store, and he retrieves a collection of coins from the ceiling because uh, he's... Up to no good. He's going to scam somebody. Mm-hmm. Turning three bucks into three hundred. Yeah, yeah. I like that they had had Marco say butthole again. That seems to be his <laughs> go-to, uh, which I like. Yeah, it's good to see Marco again. Yeah, Do and, you... and we get the uh, we get a little bit more insight into Saul's past with his father. You so know? Let, let me let me take your temperature. Mm-hmm. If it turns out the only thing Jimmy took from his parents till. 
is these coins, these rare coins that his dad is being a fucking idiot about. Like he's like you can see where Chuck mm-hmm. gets his goddamn obsessive personality. Mm-hmm. Does that move you a little bit more along the fuck Chuck axis? Because I kind of think from what we everything we know in the series that I I'm kind of the kind of thing that one of the reveals is that Jimmy never stole more than like a buck seventy five from the till. It's possible. I mean, I. It seems you know, we've, like the we've real seen... the real problem is his dad and sure, his mom yeah. giving away little debbies and gallons of milk and packs of smokes right. and twenty bucks out of the till. Someone's got a sad, sob story about getting to the next town. Like that seems like where the money was going out of the building. Yeah, it's totally possible. Um, I don't know. I mean, we're hearing Jimmy's side of the story, which you know he's probably going to present himself in the best light possible. Yeah. Um, well, do you think so? Because he's with uh, Marco's kind of a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Marco would bat an eye about taking. Although Marco did like his parents, so maybe if he's like, "Oh yeah, I was taking twenty bucks a twenty bucks a shift out of the till," maybe he'd be like, "Damn, dude, your dad was a saint. What the hell?" But yeah, and like, if you can do that to your family, can you also do that to your buddy Marco? Like, yeah. maybe he wouldn't want to reveal that kind of stuff to him. Um, it didn't feel that way though. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it felt more like he. He was angry and disappointed in his father for not, quote-unquote, doing what it takes to mm-hmm. survive, essentially, uh, which in his mind would be selling cigarettes and booze to the Underage kids, kids yeah. uh, of a Catholic school. Uh-huh. I, I feel like... That's a little too far, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I feel like he, his, his pendulum swung uh, way over from where his father's position and... and uh, yeah, you know a, a phrase I hold near and dear to my heart is the opposite of crazy is still crazy. Mm-hmm. So like he just way over learned the lesson that like oh if you're a soft touch you're a loser. Yeah. Well you can be a soft touch and and you know have a heart and empathy and help people that are down and not be a credulous idiot, which is it seems like what his father was. Mm-hmm. And you know also one of the you know there's a principled uh, selfishness. Uh, and and a perfect illustration of principled selfishness is when a sudden and a sudden uh, decompressive event on an airplane, you put your own mask on before your kids, not because you want your kids to die, but if you go into apoxia while you're fumbling with their mask, you're you're going to die, and both you and the kid die. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like that if you are giving to the community so much that you actually end up being a burden to the community because you're out of a job, you done fucked up. Yeah. You done fucked up. Sure. You know, charity's great as long as, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think that uh, some people don't understand why m- most charities don't give 100% of their proceeds out because it, you know, if if, if you do do that, like, is, is it better to do, you know, one year of charity and then go out of business and bankrupt? Is it better to last, you know, create an institution that is charitable for hundreds of years in the future? I mean, I think the answer is pretty clear. I do too. Yeah. But Jimmy is way over on the other side, where anyone that almost anyone that does something charitable is a is a schmuck, which is weird because it's also not how he lives his life. Well, it is in a certain way. I mean he he thinks that everyone has a responsibility to to make their own way, and I think you know he learned from his dad that. Like he he wasn't doing the things that that Jimmy clearly saw would help him succeed, um, and I, I don't know. I mean, like, how do you square this informs what he's doing with Kim? I think in a big way. Mm. Like he he says here, like his dad um, 
wasn't doing what it took to succeed or something like that. Um, and, and he seemed very resentful of it. And that tells me that the reason he's doing this stuff with Kim, where he's like, no, you will not pay for my way. I will mm-hmm. pay for it is a l- in large part informed by his childhood and his experiences with his dad. Do you think uh, I saw this written on Reddit somewhere where someone speculating that what we're seeing with Kim is like the genesis of Chuck? Like the Jimmy is such a he's not irres he's not just irresponsible, but he's irresponsible in a way that a type A personality would even though he's covering his debts like a person like Kim couldn't just like rely on Jimmy falling into money every six weeks and like she needs something that so she is taking on more and more and more and plowing herself more into work to make up for his instability in a way that maybe chuck uh with dealing with his instability as a child Hmm. you know put himself into legal or his schooling studies and his legal studies and then being a good lawyer because he was always you know, wanting to make sure that when everything fell apart that he would be there to put things back. He had to be the responsible one because Jimmy wanted to play the the adorable child uh, yeah. all the time. Do you think that any there's merit to that, that, you know, Kim is getting more and more pinched and, and stressed out and plunging herself into, and taking on more work because she's worried that she might have to carry the world on her shoulders later? It's possible. I mean, I guess it depends on what you think kim and jimmy's relationship is like it's and cold in this episode man it's free it was it was cold it is but i don't know how to gauge that with like just kim being super busy and jimmy like, having a bad back right like I mean, how much of them just being bitchy and snippy with each other was was all about that yeah is it circumstance or is it how they feel about each other now like uh, if it's if you think kim and jimmy are kind of on their way out then, yeah, I could totally see that being the case. But I could also see it being like Kim still cares very much for Jimmy and she's going to try and help him by... Like, there are several reasons why she would take this Gatwood oil case. Mm -hmm. Um, One is to stick it to Howard. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, Two is because, you know, like you said, she wants to kind of, you know, make up for what Jimmy's doing um, and maybe, you know, distance herself some. Like, just have a reason to say, oh, I'm too busy to hang out. Sorry, Jimmy. The other option could be that she wants to take on too much work so that when she comes to Jimmy and says, please help me with the paralegal work, it's her asking for a favor, not mm-hmm. her giving a handout. Yeah. And I, I really don't know which it is because they've been so good together in the past and up till pretty recently that I don't – and now she's just so busy I can't gauge her temperature on Jimmy very well. Can I ask you, because you, you articulated uh, Jimmy's life philosophy as everyone's got to make their own way and you got to be self-reliant and, you know, anyone that does something for someone else is a sucker. Mm-hmm. How do you square that with his relationship with Chuck in the first two seasons? Because it seems like Chuck, like, maybe early in the first season, it was proven to Jimmy that his brother's illness was all in his head. Like, if he mm-hmm. – I guess that's why I'm saying he doesn't live his life that way because he – goes out of his way to help out his friends and his family who are in need, mm-hmm. whether they ask for it or not. And that doesn't square with, like, kind of a mercenary – the kind of mercenary worldview that he's espousing here to Marco and that you're – that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, I mean, I, maybe he just I, applies that to himself, you know? Mm. Like, he refuses to take handouts. He refuses to to welch on his responsibilities, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. Um, it's tough to say. Uh, have we actually started the recap? 
Yeah, we okay. got through the first scene. Okay, because I, I, I wasn't sure if we were still just talking generalities. Uh, I, someone pointed out that that Band-Aid box mm-hmm. was in the very first scene of the first season where it shows Gene kicking back in his lounging chair and, 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 and watching his commercials. He had like a little keepsake box where he had his commercials, and in the corner huh. that Band-Aid box was there. Okay. So... I don't know what that all means, other than it's a cool attention to detail, but uh, he's still got the Band-Aid box as Gene, Cinnabon Gene in the future. That would mean that Saul Goodman, throughout the course of Breaking Bad, would have that Band-Aid box, yeah? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a safe bet. Did hmm. we, that, that, that we never scene, see it. In the top drawer, he has a Hello Kitty phone. Are you, are, are, are you willing to bet there's no Band-Aid box in the back corner? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the only they reason had I'm willing to bet is because in that thread on Reddit, someone would have posted, gone back and posted that. Right, that's how the yep. the crazy people on the internet work. <laughs> God bless them too. Yeah, no, it's it's great for us. Uh, so Mike goes out to the desert with the notes that he got from his last meeting with Nacho, and he digs around until he finds a body. And I actually really like the way the scene is shot. Oh, wow. That overhead with a bunch of different mics digging out in the I desert. I thought that was so stupid. Because you thought it was stupid? Only because I guess I was so convinced of what Mike was looking for, because we mm-hmm. kind of puzzled that out at the end of the last episode. And we both agreed he's looking for everything pointed the that body, he's looking yeah. for the body. So to have something so obvious drug out with another fucking five-minute mic montage, as much as I like the mic montages, I felt like that was a bit... A bit tedious and silly. I guess it... I I don't know. I mean, maybe to you because, you know, we have speculated endlessly for hours about this and Mm -hmm. read everything on Reddit. But I think if you're just a viewer of the show, Mm -hmm. this was not tedious and this this was not obvious. Hmm. I I don't know. It's still, even if I'm granting that it's not obvious or tedious, you could... You could do that same scene in a third of the time and not lose anything. Because I, I actually thought the multi mic stuff was silly looking. I thought it was, goof, hmm. I thought it was goofy okay. and low rent kind of. I did not like. It's one thing to do a time lapse of showing how many holes he dug, but like having the multi mics everywhere, just like what? The, come on, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I didn't like it. Did hmm. not like it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of what people thought it was. So if you're unfamiliar with the theories, I guess um, it. It makes a lot of sense after what the church lady said about not knowing. Um, yeah, if the her reason he got back in bed with Squat Cobbler is so he could meet with Nacho, so he could get him this favor, so he could give that family closure. Yeah, because he felt bad about having this guy killed out in the desert and them not knowing his fate. And that's great because it shows what a uh, you know how much it must have cost Mike to have dissolved that little boy in acid, for example. Sure. Um, or to make yeah. the choice to leave his granddaughter on a playground while the cops are uh, trying to snare him. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I do like that going back and watching like season five and six of Break. Did I do another spoiler or something? No, no, no. At me? There's so there's a Kaylee Ehrmantraut Twitter account from 2012. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's like. It's Kaylee it's, it's tweeting saying, uh, I'm so excited. Like, Pop-Pop ran off today at the park, and I haven't seen him, but he promised to take me to the zoo. I'm so excited we're going to the zoo on Friday. Uh-huh. And there's, like, a series of 15, 20 tweets that are just uh-huh. like, can't wait to go to the zoo with Pop-Pop on Friday. Uh-huh. Uh, 
something about we haven't heard from Pop Pop in a few days, but I think he's going to show up on uh-huh. Friday. Yeah, it's good. And, it's and really it just funny. keeps getting progressively darker. And I, uh-huh. God, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have the the actual username? Uh, yeah, it's check it out. Kaylee Erms. K a y l e e e h r m s. Yeah, I saw Twitter. that. I saw that too. So, Man, I, and funny. I, I will cop to. I was maybe a bit grumpy because I had an emergency unscheduled break job. I had to fucking do. Mm. Uh, last night uh, that took like four hours and like all of my prep time. So like by the time I got around to it, I a slow five minute mic montage was not what I was looking for. God damn it! So mm. like just you know adjust to uh, take my <laughs> take take my mental state going into this project. Maybe maybe when I get cranky about the show, this episode it's it's less the episode's fault and more I'm just being cranky. Okay, uh, I interrupted you. Do you remember? What what you were about to? Oh, just like the fact that like when you go back and watch season because I'm looking forward to I think at the end of Better Call Saul, I'm going to watch season four and five or the the final is it did they they made the six right or is the five? Yeah, it was split. Okay, it's it's, it's a supersized five seasons. I want to watch the the final final two seasons of Breaking Bad, and I bet it's going to be a trip to see like how much more depth and. You know, Mike is a lot less mysterious now, and he's got a lot more emotional depth. And I yeah. bet that that really plays off not only with his his all consuming frustration with Walter, mm-hmm. um, but also just the compromises he has to make for his own moral code because of fucking Walter White. Yeah, I think that's going to be fun. All right, Chuck runs down his symptom logs with his doctor, and he notices things are getting better, and he hopes he'll be back to work soon, and he'll have a big party with a hundred friends and colleagues who all uh, love him and adore him. And he also seems to realize his illness might be all in his head after all. Uh, It seems to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt and in public. When he says, what have I done, is the thing that he did to his brother in that set of things that he's done, do you think? I think so, yeah. I guess before that, do you think that Chuck's working an angle? I can't really tell, but it's always in the back of my mind. If he is, then I'll have newfound respect for what a dastardly dick he is. Uh-huh. Uh, still hashtag fuck Chuck, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess there's always there's, uh, there's always room for redemption, like a genuine mm. apology and like, I'm sorry that I did this. And the real irony is it looks like dramatically that destroying his brother is what's going to push Jimmy into Sawland. Yeah, and it would be kind of heartbreaking if Chuck wants to reconcile with his brother or have a new appreciation for him and all the things he's done and his role in shaping his brother. When it's when when Jimmy is fully transitioned to Saul and doesn't give a shit anymore, mm-hmm. that would be pretty tra- <laughs> pretty tragic. And it feels kind of maybe something the Villa Gang might be pulling pulling here. Yeah, I was actually surprised to see Chuck. I guess actually admit out loud that this could be all in his head. I mean, I know it was proven certainly to us as an audience that this is all in his head, but I didn't think he would admit it. Right. I thought he would stubbornly refuse to believe it yet again. So maybe the road to recovery. Unself-aware people are kind of my kryptonite, and Mm -hmm. him stepping towards being self-aware I I think is a good sign for for his character to come. For sure. There was a kind of interesting theory about the way he described this thing of being full of house or full of uh, his house being full of people and all of his friends and coworkers being there, mm-hmm. spilling out into the yard. 
Some people are wondering if this wouldn't be a description, like a foreshadowing of like an Irish-style wake at his house after he's dead, because he is in McGill, he is of Irish. And now there's plenty of Irish people in that thread being like, what the fuck? There's, we don't have open bars that are... And I think that people confuse like Irish, Irish the, wake with like American Irish shit I mean, popularized through the wire. They've seen the departed one too many times. Exactly. <laughs> like, come on. Exactly. So, also, this is a description of literally any party. Yeah. I uh, know. Uh, yeah. It's a description of a wedding ceremony. Yes, it's yes. a description of Chuck's not... a birthday party. Right. Like, but none of the, the no, Irish have all of those as well. Like I, I get it, but I do think to, so. You you are not having any part of this being foreshadowing for a, a, fu- a funeral wake at his house. No, but I do think he's in for some disappointment if he thinks he has a hundred people who like him and respect him I enough to show up. I don't know. Like, <laughs> do, I mean, I don't think anybody likes everybody him. in H H and M would show up for that funeral. Well, they would be ordered to by Howard. <laughs> that's that's the safe. You still grace. have like do you, and the other thing is like I don't feel like any of his friends in the law industry or the legal profession, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, the legal industrial complex. I don't think any of them have turned on him. They probably are. F- they probably are sad and feeling bad for him. But you know what Americans love? Americans love a comeback story. Yeah. American loves Robert Downey Jr. putting on Iron Man suit and putting behind his demons and making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that if he if he got known that like this was a wake up call for him and that he worked real hard and got in recovery and now he's throwing his big house full of electric. I feel like there would be plenty of people there because people. You know, Chuck's not – well, I mean, Chuck's kind of a, a douchey guy. That's the thing, yeah. I think he's kind of an asshole in general. But you know what? Steve Jobs had a lot of people show up at his funeral. Yeah, that's true. One of the biggest assholes that's on true. the planet. So, But he had an open bar, so <laughs> what are you going <laughs> to do? That's the secret. It is. Full bar. Full bar. All right. Jimmy's ready to shoot the commercials at the music store, but they found out what he paid for the airtime, and they decided uh, we're, we don't want to go through with our end of the deal despite – the store traffic being better than ever. These fuckers. The first ad. Yeah. Yeah, assholes. Uh, I, was, I was so pissed on behalf of Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a real shitty thing to do. Like, okay, here's, but this here's happens, where I agree this with This happens them. all the fucking time yeah. in business. Well, this is why you get a, a contract. Like, you get a, full, you, get a full ser- you get a full service company that comes in and handholds and gives you white glove service, and then once they've shown you the ropes... Sure. You go and get the bottom rate bullshit thing that's probably going to end in disaster, but who gives a fuck because it's cheaper. It's cheap and it's like <laughs> it, it happens and I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to me. I've seen my companies, you know, that it wasn't my call to make, but I've had to be the guy that that, that does this kind of mercenary shit and it always mm. feels terrible. But these yeah, guys I mean, are just fuckers. Like, oh, I called the I called the studio and they can put us our commercial on the air for four fifty. Then Jimmy asserting his valid Mm-hmm. Intellectual property rights set them off like we'll fucking get your students and we'll like get to go fuck yourselves. I, I that was a justifiable slip. Here's the thing: mind. I do agree with them on they yeah. don't need seven new commercials. You don't. As a matter of fact, that probably hurts them having seven I, different commercials. I don't know because I feel like that's um, if you get a good local thing going. Because mm-hmm. I can think of memorable campaigns like Don's Guns. Uh, there's been a couple car dealerships and a couple other. Uh, you know the Watsons girl. Uh, when you get lightning in a bo- local bottle like that, yeah, I feel like the, having fresh commercials each week would probably really spike the traffic. And that's the pitch that Jimmy sold them, and they agreed to. 
and they are now yeah. reneging on. Oh sure, I, I'm I'm not for uh, going back on this deal. That's that's ridiculous. They yeah. said they'd do it. They should because I'm it. saying like you're you're that's a that's that's not the, so you're saying like I agree with them in their points. Like I'm not sure because that's not the media pitch. It, it'd be like if Don Draper pitched, hey. We're going to sell your pantyhose. We're going to have seven different commercials seven weeks in a row, and it's going to be amazing. And then you're mm-hmm. like, okay, we like the idea, but we're not going to buy a commercial, and we're going to shoot our own commercial. We're going to do the one thing. Well, what fuck the fuck? Yeah, they're That's dicks. not my- the media campaign. It's all it's, – mm-hmm. it's, it's not reducible is what I'm saying. Okay, well, that I mean, that's not how commercials are done. I mean, repetition is valuable. You want the same message out there over and over again. You don't want seven different messages. Because then you just confuse the issue, especially if you're pitching to the same audience, I would think. But despite my my agreement with them on we don't need seven different commercials, I think they're assholes for going back on their word. I don't even agree with them on the 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 the, okay. the, the lack of efficacy of the seven commercial plan. But we're agreed that I certainly it's, think it's terrible what they're trying to do to Jimmy. Yeah, they seem yeah. like they see the you know the Scalar brothers or some scumbags. I honestly, when I saw how busy their store was, I thought, has Jimmy paid people to come in here I, that, to sell the rest of his I commercials that by too, generating traffic? He was so strapped for cash, I couldn't see how he could afford it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could promise them like. And you did will you get notice paid. that? Did you notice that all the crowd were like? Snowbirds, yeah, they're all, yeah, yeah. they're all grand, they're all yeah. grandmas like trying to buy gig boxes for the grandsons I mean, and stuff. It was, it was, I, I like that attention to detail. Yeah, uh, that was really <laughs> nice. A lot of salt and pepper, a lot, a lot of snowy tops in that store. Uh, and you know, after this argument, he decides to revert to slip and Jimmy mode, and he purposely slips on a drumstick while the camera guy films it. And baby JJ <laughs> caught it all. Yep, his wide angle lens. Uh, yeah, justifiable slip. These guys fucking, you know, this yeah. is why I don't ever feel too bad about Jimmy scamming people because it always seems like it's people that what need getting. It's vigi- yeah. it's, it's it's a type of vigilante justice, which I don't condone in real life, but in fiction, kind of love. Yeah, Jimmy I mean, is the Batman the... Of, of, of liability insurance. Yeah. <laughs> he just, yeah, he needs to just carry, I guess, drumsticks with him everywhere. It's fun now... I don't. So the other thing, his back being out. I don't even got there yet, but my my guess is in his younger years, a slip like this wouldn't slow him down much. Right. But he's yeah. older, and the slips aren't as easy. Sure. So totally. I and or I I don't know maybe because I, I was reading some other takes and like Alan Zuppenwall said that like this is you know the, the Jimmy like a WWE star like even though the stunts are fake they have real consequences on your body. And I'm like, uh, you know, okay, you know, Undertaker throwing mankind off off of a steel cage, uh, that th- that'll fuck you up. I think a, a stunt man or a guy like Jimmy could take a fall without hurting himself. He's just gotten old. Sure. So yeah. I don't think this was like, you know, every time he slipped out in a convenience store in you know sh- just suburbs of Chicago that he would be down in his back for six weeks. It's just now he now he is. Yeah, I think he's also rusty. Um, ah. You know he's gotten old and he's gotten worse at it because he hasn't been doing it. He really looked like Bob 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 Odenkirk. Bob. He's the he's the Scandinavian stuntman that does mm. all Bob Odenkirk's Boob <laughs> Boob Boob Odenkirk. Uh, he it looked like Bob really took that fall. Yeah, I don't know if they sped up the camera or what to well, make him smash like, harder, but because because like you know when uh, McKeon took that header on the countertop, it looks so damn real. And then yeah. when you when they broke down how they did it. 
it looked vicious, but it was entirely risk-free and comfortable. So, like, yeah. I wonder if there was, like, wires or, like you said, they sped up. Because I was looking for a camera break where they, like, you know, blurred in a digital stuntman, and it didn't look like it. Yeah. And I didn't get far enough into the damn Insider podcast to, to, to find out whether they, they did or not. Too much conversation about uh, Hamlin's wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Uh, the actors, name? yeah, the guy that plays Howard Hamlin. Shit, it's got it's a really odd, distinct name. Yeah, anyway, I we'll go I on. Remember. We'll go on. All right, uh, Kim meets with Paige, and what's his name? I think it's is it Herb? Herb? He seems like a Herb. That's uh, Kevin. It's Kevin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he still seems like a Herb. Patrick Fabian right. is Howard Hamlin. Yeah, Patrick Fabian, who sounds exactly like Howard Hamlin. I don't. I don't even know that he acts. He just. He just uh, puts on a suit. And he's Howard Hamlin. Sounds like Howard Hamlin. Yeah, Patrick Fabian. I mean, I guess that like his speaking patterns are very, very uh, Howard Hamlin. Oh, like because oh. he was. Like uh, I'm sorry, this doesn't make sense. He was on the Insider podcast. He was like the featured okay. guest this week, along with their uh, wardrobe lady, huh. who they did you know, a match made in him because they just talked about clothes all the time. <laughs> right, his knit ties, Hamlin to go. Yep, and they're they're taking credit for bringing that back because she said that like the. His trademark knit tie with the gold bar and the circular collars, you could not find anywhere. But in the three years they've been doing this, you now see she can buy some of this stuff off the rack because, like, knit ties are coming. And I'm like, are knit ties coming back because uh, Better Call Saul? Or are they coming back because everything? Yeah, I never thought the 70s would come back. And then a couple years ago, sure enough, bell bottoms. Sure. So every, everything everything, everything takes a return, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, Kim's meeting with, uh, Paige and Kevin, apparently at a restaurant, they ask her to take on a case for a buddy of theirs, Gatwood Oil. Uh, Howard comes up to say hi, which annoys Kim, and she excuses herself and gives Howard a check to pay him back for his school loans. Uh-huh. Then she comes back to the table, she agrees to take this Gatwood Oil, uh, the details for it and pass them on to a firm that can help him out. And then afterward, Howard chews Kim out. Uh, about dragging his firm's name through the mud, and then Kim gives it right back to him. Yep, serves all the like the whole uh, even the oh sit I insist yeah it's so great. Yeah. Also, I felt like before I figured out what Howard was doing, I thought low key that she might have been going there to like threaten him, like I'm going to poach your damn client. Oh right, yeah, right. Like I'm going to slip Got you, one, yeah, I'm going to slip you to some mystery that people are going to be like, oh, and who's this Kim? And oh, she's over there with the big biggest banker in, in New Mexico, and uh-huh. like you know that they, they they've got this, and maybe maybe that's what she's still doing because they're they're dealing with this PR disaster uh, that she's just kind of casually waving around that like, hey, you know, I could I could take I could jack your shit, man. Here's the thing that I don't understand: watching this scene. Seeing Kim basically turning down business, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Kim? Hire somebody. Hire somebody, build a company, do your thing. Like, I you're feel being for her, though, handed she, cases. She promised this guy, Kevin, mm-hmm. that she was going to, he was going to get white glove personal treatment, her only focus. And I That's think fun. that even what... I mean, and now the, the the problem is, is like if the client himself is saying, no, I want you to help, you're kind of an asshole if you turn him down and refuse to help. That's what I was afraid. Now, yeah, yeah. interestingly, Paige seems to be very worried about this. Um, but I don't know what Kim's supposed to do in this. Like the, the, the boss man, the head client is telling the, him that he wants you to do this thing. 
And if she thinks she can do it, then I think you take the case and you hire somebody. I mean, it seems yeah. You didn't promise this me. guy that he would get white. You didn't pro- uh, Gatlin. You didn't say your Gatwood no, oil no. that he was going to get white glove personalized treatment. Yeah, and I mean, if they trust you to 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 work their case, they should also trust you to hire somebody who can do just as good a job on the Gatwood oil. However, there is a lot of overhead to hiring an employee. It's not like sure. you can just like, oh, you're a good person. You've got good recommendations. Turn you loose on this Gatwood thing. So, but certainly less overhead than actually doing the work herself. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, if she wants to be successful in a solo practice, she's eventually going to have to start bringing on associates probably. I mean, maybe yeah. not. Maybe she just wants to be a sole perfect practitioner her entire legal career with a single golden egg client. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I guess if but that's eventually you want to go. Mesa Verde is going to do their four corners expansion and it'll be they, too much work. Or for her. No, well, I was just saying that that work will dry up. Oh, okay. Cuz they're yeah, doing yeah. a they're doing they're expanding into other three states. That won't happen forever. Also, her current lifestyle is not sustainable. Um working nonstop, sleeping in the office, oh, stopping sure. by to pick up clothes sure. like but you she can just can't do that, that for a forever. surprising amount of time. Yeah, but how long is Mesa Verde's business going to go on? I mean, there, yeah. you know, there are how many more states to go into? Yeah, forty-eight. I uh, <laughs> good well, luck, Kim. I mean, that's the thing. If they're going to be the next Chase Manhattan, <laughs> right? Verde, why wouldn't they want to be? It seems like they do. Yeah, or maybe they're wanting to get bought by said Chase Manhattan. Yeah, um, or Huntington or whatever. I, I don't know. That's uh. You're right. It's like I always was when I was an independent contractor in the computer world. I always got nervous when I had like more than fifty percent of my work coming from a single client because mm, I always yeah. thought like, oh man, that's that's a. It's nice having that anchor whale, but if that gets harpooned by somebody else or they no longer need your service, then like suddenly you're scrambling. Yep. But Kim's healthy enough that she can write a check for fifteen grand just on a, a fit of peak. That's like three of her cars. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, maybe she needs to step up to you know at least get the spider version of the eclipse, get it, the the ragtop twin turbo version. She's doing yeah, she's got to be doing really well because she writes that check and then she tells Jimmy, oh no, I guess Howard tears it up in her face. Right, so but she still, still has that money. Like from their burn rate of the yeah. previous, it seems like she could like keep the lights on just with her savings account for like the entire rest of the year. I yeah, don't know. you'd think so. We also got a, a firm date. That check was March something, two thousand three. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So there you go. Everybody can shut the fuck up. It's 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 it, it's inconsistent. There's things yep. you can poke holes at, but Kim wrote a check. So there you go. All right. Um, yeah, and I do like how she she brings this back around on uh, Howard at the end. You know, it it is certainly on him because. He's oh. hiding. I mean, he's protecting the image of the company by hiding the truth yeah, from his you, clients. You cannot blame someone for. I mean, it, it, it's, he just has no fucking leg to stand on. When yeah. he goes, she goes, "Hey, I was just defending my client to the best of my ability." Oh, is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah. Fuck face. Mm-hmm. That's the job. That's what like lawyers. That's that's all lawyers. What they call yeah. their job. Like you can. That's malpractice to do otherwise. Like mm-hmm. come, come on. And how can you hold someone responsible for blowing up? a chain of events that you yourself started three years ago when you started covering for Chuck, Chuck's mental illness. Right. Yeah. No, he, he he's, he's like, it on I like Howard a lot more than I think a lot of people do because I can see, you know, what growing up as not as a talented son and knowing that a lot of what your success is built on is nepotism and that you've had this, this Chuck guy lording over and you, we see what that does to Jimmy and he's just so eager to please. Like, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for him. But yeah, he needed this comeuppance. Uh, and I also like the 
that Kim has basically stolen. What's what's that other lawyer's name who offered her the job at at whatever company it was that she interviewed at right before the Wexler McGill thing? Oh. I can't oh, remember yeah, his yeah, name, yeah, but sure, she, sure. he took her to this restaurant and they uh-huh. ordered the mule, or he yeah. ordered the mule. I like how she's kind of taken yeah. that up as her own ritual. Yeah. I'd also That's like to neat. see Kim golf. Kim, yeah. Sounds like she did a lot of golfing back in her youth. I guess so. I'd yeah. like to see Kim, Kim on a golf golf course. Uh, we go over to Nacho, who spends all night packing the dummy pills full of ibuprofen and practicing the, the drop. Uh, it looks like he's unable to master it before Warming his, his father Huel, shows up. Getting his Huel hands all warmed up. Yeah, why doesn't he just hire Huel? Go to Mike and hire <laughs> Huel. Huel will walk in and feel up Hector, and suddenly the pills Because the size of Huel would t- – well, I guess this is the new slim version of Huel. That's like, right. I, I, I don't, yeah, so Huel. he's, he's, he's uh, now in compact, easy to, easy to smuggle in the Mexican or taco bar version of Huel. Uh, uh, let me ask you this. He needs to be like – because that's the thing, right? Like uh, – that circle hasn't been complete yet. That's that's one of Saul's guys, or that's one of Jimmy's guys, and yeah. Mike and Jimmy haven't sh- shared their pool of contacts that's under true. Rolodexes just quite yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a reason that he's doing ibuprofen and not like sugar or something more inert? Like I, I imagine that like does that you, do something to you? I mean, to your heart? No, I mean it. It, it definitely like aspirin would be the worst thing you'd because it does actually. Can be prophylactic as far as taking for heart attacks, so that thins out your blood. Uh-huh. Um, so I guess it's just not that, but you would want it to have a medicine like that bitter. Like I'm, I'm guessing if I'm Nacho, I'm like, okay, if I can't swap this out, uh, and if someone cuts open this pill, like, are they gonna? Is the cartel gonna like fucking send this off to the lab for analysis? <laughs> right. or are they gonna open it up and taste it and be like, ah, oh, this is bitter as fuck? Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you put like stevia in there, and it's mm-hmm. like, I don't think this is what medicine tastes like. That's what I thought because I was okay. kind of thinking the same thing. Like, I know why? he just wants it to not work. Yeah, um, but I didn't know if ibuprofen was like special. Or yeah, but uh, yeah, I I think this scene is really effective when combined uh, with the other scene of Nacho at the taco shop because oh, we see that he doesn't actually master this drop. Yeah, like he doesn't. We have don't know Malcolm, whether he's got it. <laughs> he doesn't have the Malcolm Gladwell required ten thousand hours no. of. Uh, you know, bombing a pill bottle into a pocket from a fairly good, uh, you know, palming technique. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he hasn't even had 10,000 seconds, I don't think. Oh, no, no. But uh, so it really, and you know, the consequences of failure are so dire that, like, it, it really was a surprisingly effective build of tension. And this is a character. And this is where, like, this montage, entirely necessary to yeah. build that tension in the audience. And it's also a character that we don't know survives into Breaking Bad. Yep. So it's there's the potential of him just fucking this up and getting killed. Yep. Yep. Which You're adds exactly. to I mean, it. we kind of think that he's alive because Jimmy Maybe. seems to think he's alive. Yeah. Uh, circa season – was it season two of Breaking Bad? But mm-hmm. you're right. We don't know for sure. Uh, anything else on that? No. Okay. Chuck goes uh, grocery oh. shopping. Yeah. His dad comes in. Uh-huh. What do you think I, – I was thinking when I was watching the scene, what do you think his dad would want Nacho to do? Get out of the drug business and well, but, work but, in the – I mean, it's not that put, easy, right? Put like goldenrod vinyl in Mike's car or something? I don't know. I'm gonna say, it's like if you told his dad, like, hey, look, this is this what's happening. 
do you think his dad would be like, all right, let's just go to the cops, go into witness protection, blow this thing up? Or do you think, Probably. I mean, or or would he be so concerned with his son that he would go along with it? I was trying to think, like, what would his dad want him to do mm-hmm. if he went to him for guidance or help? And I, I, I couldn't tell if he – because there's one thing that's like I'd think that he would do the right, quote-unquote, right thing. Hell or, you know, the, the, damn the consequences. He might just be like, you know what? Fuck Hector! I'm not gonna tell him I'm not gonna do it, and mm-hmm. just accept the consequences on him. Or he might do something. He might go along with to protect the son. I don't know. It's it's kind of dumb, but it's it's something I was thinking about because I do feel sure. like this. One thing that really the, the 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 thing that really is making me care about Nacho is his relationship with his dad. It's very you know thinly sketched, but effective. Mm-hmm. You know that you got the son that's uh it's it's kind of like a crazy eight story. You know you got the son that. Wants to be right by his dad, but you know, maybe, but uh, uh, he also wants his own thing too. Sure. Betty wishes he just stuck with upholstery at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chuck goes grocery shopping to push himself and uh, kind of try and recover from his illness. Uh, he's doing all right until he walks down the freezer aisle, and then he seems to freak out a little bit. It's like the Death Star trench run to get yeah. the soy milk, man. He's Just got... walk around the other aisle. Yeah, and I, and I thought the the way they did the, the sound effects work, like usually they go more mm-hmm. for broke on the visual side of Chuck's, but like the the steadily rising intensity. I thought he was going to freak out in a store. It seems like he survived it. I think but. so. Yeah, he's also. It seems like the techniques that the therapist uh, or his doctor was teach was like like practicing presence, like you know, mm-hmm. making sure that you ground yourself and you're present in the moment, and you do that by observing, you know, the things around you and concentrating on that and the real things rather than the imaginary things. And it seems like it's working. So good for you, fuck Chuck. Uh, then we go over to Kim, who hears Jimmy playing guitar in his office, and she checks on him. He tells her that he hurt his back, but he sold his ads, and he gives her money for the next six weeks of expenses. She tells him to take some time to plan his next move by letting her cover the expenses for a while, mm-hmm. but he refuses, and then she decides she's going to take the Gatwood oil case on herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a scene where you know Jimmy starts saying, I'll do what I have to do to take care of my half, and I start to think, okay, that's informed by his experience with his dad. And he's kind of a dick about it, but, you know, we talked about that there's kind of reasons, the fact that he's also might be kind of a dick because she's lost track of the last time she saw him, mm-hmm. like, you know, because she's working so hard. And as a result, she's deciding to work even harder, so that's going to put further strain on their relationship. Like I said, I remember a time when these two had a lot of chemistry. Yeah. And, boy, it's been a long time. It has. Like, this, it's just um, completely absent this season. And I, I can't help but think once Kim has a moment to reflect on this interaction mm-hmm. she might realize that jimmy is slipping yeah like because he even says at the end do you believe me like oh my god yeah like and i think he's talking about two things and she thinks that he's talking about wait what else is he talking about uh he's talking about keeping his expenses uh his end of the expenses up oh i just and assumed, also I just like just, his i just bullshit, this bullshit about story about slipping like yeah. You know. I think it's both, and I think Kim takes it as like, yes, I believe you will keep your half of the expenses coming in. Yeah, I wonder uh, if looking back after everything's said and done, yeah. we'll see Jimmy, like her, you know, the, the scene where she punches him in the car last season as the real end of their relationship. Could but be. it's just float, it's just go, it, it's chugging on pure inertia at this point. Yeah, the beginning of the end, as yeah. they say. Yeah. Might be. Um, 
And we kind of already talked about why Kim might be taking this case. So I think we can move on to Howard uh, in a quick scene where he shows up at Chuck's house to talk about a problem with his malpractice insurance. We don't actually find out what that problem is, but potentially the price is going up and Hamlin doesn't want to afford what doesn't want to pay for it or he's getting dropped altogether, which could cause problems for Chuck. Yeah. I wonder if it's illegal to practice law without malpractice insurance. I don't think so, but it's a lot riskier. Isn't it? Isn't it? I thought it was illegal for a doctor to do so. Like, hmm. Well, maybe our our legal friends can write in and tell us a little bit of uh, a commentary about that. I just, um, you know, some things like I feel like engineering is another like civil engineering is another where you have to be licensed or bonded um, Mm. because it's just like the. It's just like you have to have automobile insurance to to drive in America because the yeah. risk of personal harm and injury is so great that you know no one no one is allowed to make the individual choice not to oh I'll just be a good driver right because <laughs> uh, it's not up to you really right exactly <laughs> other and, people might be bad drivers and there you go and we're talking about people's lives and I think in the legal and the medical profession you are. Sure. Like their yeah. financial security, their their medical, their 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 health, those things are seems like it'd be important to yeah. to to uh you know protect. I could understand why it would be mandatory. Uh but I don't know if it is. Right. Uh Chuck looks pretty good in this scene. Uh he's strolling home casually, mm-hmm. uh with a smile on his face. Mm-hmm. So he clearly got through the freezer gauntlet. Uh and I think he's feeling pretty good about where he is. Maybe he turns into a pain junkie. <laughs> okay, he's like he like he likes the endorphin high he gets mm-hmm. from from uh, he, he becomes like a sadomasochist kind of thing, and the electricity is his his uh, master. Yeah, the cracking the whip on him. Like, oh yes, yes. He's just like instead of cuts on his leg, he's got like <laughs> right. cattle prod marks. Right. Yeah. 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 He just straps cell phones to his uh, to his to his to the side of his <laughs> and he head. He calls himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, yep. Takes a Nokia slider, shoves it up his ass, <laughs> <laughs> sets it to vibrate. Ah, yeah. Oh, it's the pleasure and pain. It's the pleasure and the pain. <laughs> Can't have one without the other. All right. Uh, Nacho climbs on the roof of the taco shop at night and destroys the air conditioner. Yeah, he does. And then the next day, Hector takes off his jacket due to the heat. And what the repairman's going to say switch. when he inevitably shows up to fix? Is like Jesus Christ! What? What kind the of camels wood- got? To well, your, yeah, what, your kind AC of, unit. what kind of woodpecking camels you got going on here? Yeah, it's he like, he really does a hatchet job on that thing. Yeah, like a, a very small pinhole leak would do the job. I don't know that you have to destroy the the system, dude. Like the, yeah. Is a cartel going to look into that? I mean... I don't think the cartel's that smart. They all look pretty... Yeah. I mean, they're not doing a great job of selling the cartel as, as any kind of smart organization right now. You know what? Which kind of sucks because it's... it's If they continue this line of showing to everybody except for Juan Bolsa as having their head firmly up their ass, it's going to kind of cheapen Gus's victory in, in retrospect. Yeah. I mean, I think... Hmm. That's what I worry about anyway. I'm, I mean, I'm not. They probably don't have an AC guy on staff, right? So they'll call somebody in and they'll fix it, and that might be the end of it. I don't know. Yeah, but doesn't you? I mean, every time I've had a car repair, like the person, Tell you like if it's it. not wear and tear, they'll be like, like I remember when I got my, I don't, know, I think it was a transmission got nearly destroyed by a goddamn shopping bag that I ran over. 
uh, got all bound up in its its works and and did a lot of damage to Super Outback I used to have. And like you know, they wow. I feel like the mechanics love telling you like, oh, you had a fucking nest of fire ants up in there. Uh-huh. You had a dog look like he humped the shit out of your radiator, or something. You know, like you had a skunk crawl up your wind, your your tailpipe. You know, it's like they're not going to like if if they see your radiator, your your, your air conditioner assembly is like Swiss cheese. They'll be like, hey, yeah. I was I was thinking like, could, is there some way that you could corrode it ultra fast, like get an acid or something to eat through it, or just yeah. make it look a little bit less like tampering? Yeah, like I said, a you're pin, right. Like I, any kind of pinhole leak, which I, those do yeah. naturally occur, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, or t- take a bunch of birds and throw them down in the fan or something. <laughs> I go, find, go to a vet, get a bunch of bird carcasses, yep. and just yep. dump them, freeze in there. them, and then use an air cannon to just, just. Prefer you know <laughs> high caliber sparrows right to the I air conditioner gets the, all the time. The fan you can bust the fan, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the thing I didn't think about is uh, well, they already busted the fan. That thing's doing no good at all. Oh, that ceiling fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's useless. Uh, I do love this AC solution because it you know it's it's elegant. It is elegant. It gets I think he Hector's went jacket off, but it he is did. elegant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it results in maybe the most tense scene i've seen all season i i'm trying to think of when when is a tenser scene in better call saw history yeah because the stakes just aren't the, as high as they normally are i mean some of the stuff that mike's done has been pretty tense or mm-hmm. I, I although rarely have i felt mike has been in danger whereas nacho yeah, is in true. mortal danger throughout this entire scene and it's just unrelenting and it everything you saw in the practice session builds into this thing yeah. Um and you know Nacho's like the guy this this guy Michael Mando is just like his with his with his hand shaking and and yeah. then they do a slow motion sky hook into the pocket and yeah. also like so there's a, some people I think have lost their damn minds but there's some people opining that they think Hector knows because like oh they they just, they just they just freezed on his face the whole time. I think that's to illustrate the fact that he has no idea. He's not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell would he know? Like unless he's got like Spider Man extra sensory powers. Now, yeah. the, the, some other one suggested that they sh- kept on showing the cook. They've showed the cook every right. time they established this shot. Yeah. Um, and this is no no different. Like oh the the cook saw, but like. That's not how you tell a story. Like, I'll feel kind of pissed if the cook yep. did see, because that's not how you tell a, visu- a story in a visual medium. And and if you really want to crank up the tension, show the cook seeing it. Yeah, like, if if if, if, <laughs> if Nacho goes over there as he's calming down and he looks up into the short order window and the cook's looking at him like, yeah. you yeah. know, that. With his mouth open. With his yeah. mouth open and his eyes bugged out, then, like, I would be losing my damn mind. But that's yeah. not how that scene went. So it's not, and I, I will feel cheated, people, too. I think people need to calm down on it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the inevitable thing that has to happen here now is Nacho has to trigger an event for Hector, uh-huh. right? To where he reaches for those pills and those pills fail him. Yeah. I don't know what form that's going to take. Um, He's halfway there with the super hot... Taco he bar. is, yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing about the AC being out that I love is it covers up the nervous sweat that he's got yeah, going exactly. anyway, it's right? Flop sweat, yeah. Yeah, he can just say, "Well, it's hot in here." I still think that this cartel, like, no loyalty to their people. Mm-hmm. Like a crazy eight, you know, he comes in there and you know whatever. He's got his face beat up. He screwed up last week. Yeah. Uh, but this Carlos guy comes in. Hey, man, I'm rolling heavy. I performed for you. In fact, I ran off those fuckers who were giving you a problem down the block. And Nacho's just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. 
And Hector, he goes to look to say, to, like, try to get something from Hector. And then he's like, yeah, fuck, forget this. Like, it's amazing not everyone is informing on these guys. Yeah, no, I I don't know why anybody works for them other than the money, I guess. And I understand why Nacho was being a dick because he was just so nervous. And this guy came in right in the middle where he's trying to swap bottles and pills. Yeah. I also thought that his, his, his pill swap system was unnecessarily complicated. Once he got this... Seven day a week pill bottle. He's trying to dispense and like and it's he's loaded into well, a Pez machine. He's doing a Rubik's cube between his blind between his legs. Why wouldn't you just have a bottle to have pill like or maybe two bottles? Because okay, well I hmm. or or you take yeah, the, so the you have two bottles. Is a One small. you open up, put it in your hand. Two Donald or Don Hector's you pour into the old bottle. Then you take the fake pills, pour them back. Like what is going sure. on with this? Rube Goldberg pill device he's got. So I think he needed to count them uh, to make sure that the same number of pills were in there. Because if you have a prescription and okay, you've sure. taken X amount of pills, he might remember that. Like, he's trying to be very careful. So he's counting them. He's saving them. He he can't just swap the bottles because he doesn't have another prescription bottle and it wouldn't mm. have the same date. And Oh, I know name. that. So, I know that. He's yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part so he's got to swap the actual pills. Uh, and put the new ones in the bottle. But yeah. I, I think he's counting them. He's okay. making sure that he's got the exact same number. Okay. Yeah. And at any time, like, I'm just thinking, like, oh, it's hot as hell in here. Yeah. Like, maybe someone's going to cause a ruckus, and he's going to start coughing. He's going to look in his pocket, and it's going to be gone. Like, it's like... That was my fear. Like, it's... fucking Angel of Death is just hovering with his dark <laughs> wings over this whole scene. It's crazy. And if he thought the drop was hard the first time when we saw him miss over and over... Uh-huh. How about with those shaky hands? Yeah. Christ. Yeah. 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 I was super worried. When he actually dropped the cash, I thought he dropped the bottle because it kind of hit the ground with more of a clatter than I thought of what oh, a cash yeah. would. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's already fucked it up. How's he going to – How's he? and then, like, Hector just doesn't care. And then also I thought it was funny that his cover for getting up was to get Don Hector uh, some espresso. Mm-hmm. It's 100 million degrees – in his yeah, taco bar, and, and you're going to drink espresso? Yeah, well, he's got his stuck in his ways. I mean, I don't know. Someone suggested that that's kind of like why people from hot climates eat spicy food and drink like you know espresso and stuff because it it, it helps them habituate to the climate. Okay, you know, sure. So like if you're always eating hot things, and drinking hot things, then then it's gonna it's gonna help you not sweat. But I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. The guy likes his coffee. The guy likes his espresso. Uh, then we go over to community service, and there's a guy who Jimmy pegs as a mug mealer, a.k.a. drug dealer, mm-hmm. trying to talk his way out of out of work to go meet, I guess, and sell some drugs, but he fails. Jimmy says, hey, I can get you out of here for 700 bucks," and the guy agrees. Jimmy goes to work where he threatens to sue the work monitor guy for various reasons, and it works, and Jimmy gets paid. Yeah, I, I don't have any desire. I thought this scene was terrible. Um, the only way it could be more ham-fisted is that as when as, as when the criminal hands him seven hundred dollars. If Mike, if he actually flash back to Mike saying, "There's good criminals and bad criminals. There's good cops and there's bad cops, and you got to decide who you want to be." Like <laughs> that's the only way this could be more ham-fisted of a of a lesson that Jimmy's learning. Hmm. Okay. Except I, for you didn't pick it up. So now I feel like a dumbass. Or, or I feel, I don't know, maybe you're the dumbass. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> well, I'm, I wouldn't, uh, I've the- not never been called that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did definitely feel like this was 
a bit of a chimp with a machine gun moment <sighs> yeah. for Jimmy. Um, he couldn't have done what he did here without that machine gun that mm-hmm. is the law. It's more of a BB gun in this case, I think. Well, whatever. Sure. Um, I, I think this is the kind of stuff exactly that Chuck is afraid of. That now that he's armed with a tool that requires great responsibility, as Chuck says, to wield, yeah, um, that he's going to wield it in ways that only benefit himself, hurt little people. Yeah. I, I think this is one of those moments. It's like, and it's I like, feel Chuck a little. The bit law is like karate, and uh, Chuck is uh, Mr. Miyagi, and mm-hmm. the, uh, Jimmy's turning Cobra Kai. Yeah, he's just constantly looking to sleep the leg. Yeah, win at Bre- all costs. Break, break. Yeah, it, legs. I mean, you're right. You're right. Like, um, it does seem like that lawyers do like the flex, though. Like, I mean, some. It, yeah. it must be a little bit of a thrill to know you've got this instrument, and like, if a cop, you know, decides to like get chippy with you, or like a bit, you know, like someone tries to defraud you or give you less than the service you're owed. Like, I do feel like it, they probably secretly enjoy sending like a devastating letter to people or, you know, right. flexing their legal rights because they're, in, you know, so I, I don't know that like even a straight laced, uh, lawyer would show. I mean, obviously he's not going to take $700 from a drug dealer, but would he flex a bit on this uh, community service uh, supervisor who's just a total asshole? Mm-hmm. Probably, I, I can see him doing it. I can see and him just, doing it. I can see Chuck giving a speech to this guy. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. How this dare guy, you entrusted, entrusted with your sacred responsibility of of redeeming the blah, 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 and you're pissing all over it, and you're using it like your own damn plantation, and ah, you get to see him. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know that the monitor is doing anything wrong here. I, man, like he's doing his job, right? I guess this guy's talk, talking bullshit, clearly lying, and the guy calls him on it. What's the, whoa, what's the problem whoa, whoa, here? That drug dealer was not lying about his kid. Yeah, he was. No. Oh, yeah, he no, was. No, 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 totally lying. No, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's. I no. I mm, think that's. I disagree. Misunderstanding of the scene. Totally disagree. Well, uh, <laughs> anyway, you have your opinion. I have mine. I, I did notice that Jimmy is a lot cleaner today. Oh yeah. Normally he's like though, covered in muck. Even though he's he's picking up uh, the dirtiest of diapers. Right. And he's totally cool just lounging on his gloves. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird. Um Mike pulls a bunch of money from his hidey hole and he goes to see Gus and he asks Gus to help him launder $200,000. Gus agrees to do it uh for free as long as they do it his way, which is the difficult but careful way. Um what? This is interesting. So why do you think Gus is helping Mike? Well, because he's wanting he, – he, want, he doesn't want 20%. He wants the whole piece of one Mike, the man trout, yeah. urban trout. That's what I think too. Uh, now, what I don't understand is why, why, why Mike is getting into this deal. Well, he can't do anything with this money. Yeah, but like I think the Mike I know and love would be like, look – I understand you don't want to take money out of my family, but I insist. I'm a professional. You're a professional. I insist mm. on paying because I think even Mike has articulated something like you're going to pay for something one way or another. Mm-hmm. Like if 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 you don't take my money, I'm going to have a favor. Uh, uh, and and it'd be one thing yeah. if Gus is like, look, 
I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I have 30 locations, and I'm put, moving five tons of meth over to the U.S. border every single month. Mm-hmm. So this is the deal. And then Mike's like has to sit there and suck his teeth and do the Jonathan Banks thing where he's you know pondering his options. But like, it's almost like Mike's like, wow, you don't want 20 percent. Put her there, partner. Like with no thought, there was no like not even a moment of a hesitation. I thought, and I feel like that the the Mike the, maybe hmm. that's a maybe that's a lack of cautiousness. Maybe that's like secretly he wants to the stability. He's tired of these graveyard shifts at the parking lot, and he wants a little bit of stability. And if this if if he's identified Gus as a you know a good criminal, I don't think they did a very good job of showing that evolution of his character. Like I said. Great scene hmm. because like okay. these are two dead men shaking hands, <laughs> right? And this this handshake is going to kill them both. Mm-hmm. That's very cool and interesting. Like like seriously, if Mike if Gus doesn't shake Mike's hand, he's still alive because he never ends up with Walter White because Saul never is able to make that connection. Yeah, if Mike doesn't shake his hands, same deal. Mm-hmm. So. It is it is fascinating. It's fascinating. However, is, yeah. I do feel like maybe I could have used two or three minutes more of Mike trying to you know puzzle out what Gus was wanting or showing some skepticism or sucking his teeth and less multiple Mike dimensions out in the desert with the uh, metal detector and the, the the show open. Okay, uh, I don't know. I I view Mike as a guy who has come to respect Gus, um, and this is kind of the final straw on the respect camel's back yeah. uh, where you know he, he does hesitate a moment when he goes to shake his hand and I think Mike is saying okay this is a guy who I think is in some ways compassionate and in a lot of ways very careful and very um, honest yeah like a man of his word things like that all the things that Mike respects I think right. Gus is so I think this is just, like, the final thing that seals the deal for him is, like, him saying, I don't want to take money out of your family's pocket. And Mike goes, okay, now now you the circle is complete here. You've proven to me what kind of person you are. <sighs> seems, Let's go for it. That seems kind of naive of Mike. But here, here's the real here, – here's the reason I'm giving it a pass is because it's, it's the needs of storytelling. They want to end on the handshake because that's a powerful note. Mm-hmm. Gus raises all the reasons they shouldn't work together, but has a top secret plan that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould do not want us as viewers to know about because that's a surprise they keep in the future. But they need the handshake for the hammer at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So even though I think in a real world, Mike would be like, yeah, tell me this plan. You know, sure. How is this yeah. going to work? How am I going to keep myself and my family safe and my money? And how are you going to... And then Gus explains it, but then the episode's ten minutes longer and it's oddly paced, and so they do they, they, they do the thing that looks good and is satisfying from a storytelling standpoint. I I don't I don't I don't think it's great though. Yeah, I mean, in this show, nobody explains their plans; they just do them. Yeah, but it's, it's I mean, t- it's, from it's, Jimmy it's, it's, it's to Gus of, to Mike, it's a son of a bitch. When when uh, I think a smart person would want to hear that plan. To go ahead and just have him just j- shaking hands with them, but I don't know. Again, I'm cranky this week. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. All right, and that's the end of the episode. Cuts to uh, credits. Mm-hmm. Before we get to feedback, I want to stump for clubthatbaldmove.com. It is a membership that you can sign up for, and it gets you uh, – first of all, it keeps us in business, which is always nice. Um, but secondly, uh, it also gets you a lot of extra features. You get ad-free feeds, so you can skip all this crap in the future. Uh, you also get a bunch of bonus content, like video versions of our podcast, which if you want, if you're sitting at lunch and you're like, oh, God, when is the podcast going to come out? 
Well, we recorded it live and, and broadcast that to the internet. If you're a club member, you could have been watching at your cubicle instead of working. <laughs> uh, sucks to be you, but you can fix that by going to club.baldmove.com. And we got other bonus features, like this week we're releasing uh, what we call a quip, a quit your pitching, where Jim and I randomly generate titles for television shows and then imagine what those television shows would be like. And sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're thought-provoking, mostly they're stupid and funny. Um, because, you know, that's kind of our sensibility. Uh, but you can get all of that, and you can try it for free, a 30-day trial, just by signing up at club.baldmove.com. Check it out. Do we have any feedback this week? Oh, boy, we do. Uh, you can send feedback to Better Call Saul or Better Cast Saul at baldmove.com if you'd like your feedback considered for our feedback section. First up, J.J. Johnson uh, the two of you have always insisted Mike betrayed his principles when he left his granddaughter at the playground. I guess even uh, Jonathan Banks stated that he thought Mike would have never have left his granddaughter. I think everyone is overlooking a basic fact. Mike was going to leave his granddaughter either by slipping away or being led away in cuffs. Also, it was a completely safe place to leave her. Moments after he left, police arrived and were available to protect her and return her to her mother. Either way, he isn't going home with her, and the police are taking her to her mother. As always, Mike made the smart and loyal choice. I mean, this is something we've talked ad nauseum this about new, in Breaking Bad. I think this is a new take on it, though. The fact that like Mike was going to go away either way. Yeah, but in in one way, he leaves his daughter with the police, for sure. Because in another way, he leaves his daughter in the middle of a fucking park with police swarming about. Do they know what she looks that's like? That's what like, I'm saying. Like, how it's are they going to know this that's, is Mike's that, granddaughter? That's the problem with your uh, suggestion here, JJ, is I don't think that it's evidence that we possess that the cops would know to look for Kaylee. Right. So from her perspective, there's a lot of scary things happening in this park. There's cops everywhere. That that must be bad. My dad used to be a cop. I know that like when cops are around, there must be something going. And where's Pop Pop? And I'm scared. And like you know. Yeah. Whereas he could have or the possibility that, He like, could have been like, look, I, I'm not armed. I'm coming peacefully, but my granddaughter's here, and we right. need to make sure. And, like, if you could be cool about, like, I, and I, I I don't know, maybe. I mean, it's just not a sure thing that, yeah. his, da- that his granddaughter makes it away safely no. if he leaves. So no. I, I get your point. I, I mean, mean look, I'd also look at her on Twitter. She's, dev- she's, she's just, just devastated. She goes, yeah. Nothing good comes from this, JJ. It's There's true. your evidence. Yep. Uh, do you want to add something more? Just, no. Okay. S-Dub from Cincinnati. On the last podcast, you are wondering why Saul doesn't prepare written contracts. I imagine it would be dangerously close to practicing law without a license. Sure, anyone can scratch together a contract and get it signed. With his background and situation, it seems risky. That's I'm interesting. I'm not practicing law when I write up and sign a contract. But you don't. So, so here's the di- – so let's say – Let's say that I've lost my medical license for a year because, I don't know, I did something bad as a doctor. Um, and I'm at a park. Like, me, or, or, like let's say me, Aaron, I'm not a doctor. I'm at a park, and I see someone skin their knee, and I'm like, hey, I got Neosporin and bandages in the car. Uh, do, you, do you want do – you, and I, I help him out with that. Mm. That's good Samaritan, right? If, a, if I'm a doctor who's lost my legal license or my medical license because – and I'm not allowed to practice medicine – could I get in trouble for something that like that, or is this good? No, Samaritan? I mean, can you get in trouble for downloading and installing iTunes? Like, you're signing a contract when you do that. Well, there's a difference between a EULA and a and and like, a could you pr- buy a house to practice medicine? Could you buy a house? What the hell does that have to do with the scenario? Like, if you're talking about signing a contract as being practicing law. No, no, I, I not signing a contract, drafting a contract. So he would have to go to Kim, have her draft a contract. 
Okay. And then then he could sign it. That, so I, I think that's what the misunderstanding is. He's saying why doesn't solve. I don't think that applies as, as I, the I don't rules know. of I don't, I don't know either way. the ABA. I don't, I don't know either way. Also, I think that, as per usual, uh, Jimmy is operating in a gray area here. Oh yeah, he because does. I don't think the station is thrilled with the, what he's doing, but he's doing he's exploiting a loophole that he sees in the contract. I don't think he wants to test that in court. So no, like all this not. stuff is kind of off the books for the, because it is a is a bit of a gray gray operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, S continues. The real reason I write: What will it take to get a bald move commercial on the Cincinnati local TV? Some Kickstarter commission? I need to know. Just think <laughs> the people, the potential people's court crossover audience. It's time to break Jimmy's star wipe record. Man, if it's four hundred and fifty bucks and we can get a university crew to produce it, the UCs right we could down. Totally yeah. do that. Yeah. I you know I never I never talked to you about this but I've been thinking in the back of my mind. You know, so many people listen to podcasts on their way to work. Mm-hmm. What would it cost us to get a billboard like in the like Dallas, Fort Worth, New York City, Chicago, L.A. I've wondered about that as like, well. Like, like, and, yeah. and, and, like, time it for, like, could you – and how could we, like, make reference to Game of Thrones without getting sued by HBO and right. let them know that cool dudes are talking about it and you might want to jump in on that conversation? Like, I feel like that would be a very successful marketing push if you, if for, for very little out-of-pocket coin. Yeah, possibly. But a local local access lo, – local the television commercial would be pretty funny too. We'd just get uh, a bunch of grandmas though. Like I don't think they're going to want to hear us say fuck five times a minute. I don't know. In a podcast. I don't know. Maybe you get the Betty White type of grandma. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's the coolest I wouldn't mind grandma. having a grandma like Betty White. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Uh, Christopher B. I was wondering what you think of the Breaking Bad VR thing they want to do. What would you like to see in it? And he – he highlights me to a Variety.com article from this week, and I'm going to read briefly part of it. Vince Gilligan, creator of Breaking Bad, is teaming with Sony's PlayStation division to create a non-game virtual reality experience based on the iconic show uh, Breaking Bad. Details on the project are still scarce. Sony won't discuss what talent are attached to the experience, won't say whether it's an episodic or one-off, or give a firm launch window, other than confirming it will not release in 2017. Uh, Gilligan is reportedly eager to explore storytelling and virtual reality. Quote, we set up a day at our campus where we brought seven of our best showrunners uh, from Sony Pictures Television, uh, like David Shore Blacklist, Ron Moore, who did Battlestar Galactica, and Vince and other folks at Andrew House, global chief executive of Sony Interactive Entertainment. Mm, that's nice on a business uh, card. And they just played around with VR. Several of them were intrigued, but Vince was the one who said, I really want to do something with this. I want to experiment with this. Because production tools for live-action 360 video are still primitive, their experience will be assembled using computer graphics, and Sony's game team will work with Gilligan to realize his vision. Jim, what the fuck is this going to be, and is it something you're interested in? I mean, I I don't have any access to VR, so uh, I don't think I'll Will experience you in it. In, no, <laughs> not probably not till like 2020. I mean, it has to get better adoption and be cheaper, and sure, sure. all kinds of stuff. But uh, I'm certainly interested in the idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't even know what the idea is yet, but there's been and, and AMC's I mean, done VR's some cool, cool stuff. Like there was. Um, Season four of Breaking Bad, remember there was like a Jesse's height, like you, where you had a choose your own like telltale adventure game based on Jesse trying to pawn a comic book for Matt. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't yeah. remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of cool. And they've done like comics and stuff. Yeah. And, so yeah. I, I could see Vince being interested in, and I don't know, like, is it like what, what did it, what would a VR? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think they should do a VR. Can I freeze time and 
360 degree rotate around Jonathan Banks' head and explore <laughs> like 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 you know like like explore his face like it's like it's the Rocky Mountains. Uh-huh. And you know, and you can like use your zoom all yeah, you the can, way like, in. Yeah, I, I want to throw the P- P- POV ball to the tip of his nose and see what mm-hmm. that's like, and then go into his ears. And it's like the surface of the moon. Yeah, I imagine it's it's like uh, they say like like the coastline of um, uh, Minnesota, how it's like infinite because of all the lakes and the borders and all that stuff. Wait, they say it's infinite? Well, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, um, or it's just like really long. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh chaos theory things where like if you keep if you keep zooming in on a coastline and it is ir- it keeps getting more and more complex down I guess it goes eventually down to the atomic level. So no, nothing's infinite. Fuck you guys. <laughs> okay. I hmm. Yeah, I don't even know what they would mean by that. This but, a, all right. The coastline of Minnesota is not a Mandelbrot set. I don't I'm think pretty so. sure that that's true. It's not an infinitely cursive mathematical equation. It's a real yeah. place in space time. Is it a fractal coastline? If I go and in, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, further and further, the that's that's where I was going. Coast with turns that. into a coast of atoms. Yeah, I, but I, I honestly don't. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect. I I don't either. But sure, I'm I'm up for something. I mean, if it's more Breaking Bad and that they can get like Aaron Paul or but but that's the other thing is like. But they're doing it all digitally, right? Like computer graphics. So yeah, you so could de-age an Aaron Paul. You could de-age you need his voice. Jonathan Banks. You need his voice. You do, yeah. Yeah. All right. Corey L., the uh, pill bottle switch scene was tense and all, but I feel like Nacho could have made it easier for himself. One, instead of making a whole batch of poison pills and worrying about swapping them back, as Mike suggested, why not make the one extra fake pill and put it on top of the rest? It's unlikely Hector would notice an extra pill in his bottle. Two, why not wait for Hector to make a trip to the bathroom? This would leave Nacho ample time to make the switch. He could have been treated to a beautiful montage of Nacho keeping track of how's... <laughs> we could have been tre- we could have been treated to a beautiful montage of Nacho keeping track of Hector's bowel movements and calculating how much time he has to lift the pills. And let's be honest, Hector is an elderly man on a diet of Mexican food and espresso. <laughs> to make the switch while he's at the table is just lunacy. Brett McKay files an amicus a brief to this proposal and says, "I thought during this expense episode, um." Since Nacho and Hector aren't together 24-7, it's impossible for Nacho to guarantee he'll be there when Hector needs to pop what he thinks is one of his nitroglycerin pills. No, that's not true. As such, Nacho might never be in a position to switch the pills back if Hector poisons himself at home in bed, for instance. No, you got to trigger it. Huh? Trigger an instance, uh, an event for Hector. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Make it super hot, make his espresso extra strong. But but unless he does it this day before Hector goes home, it is a risk. For sure, yeah. But, you know, he's mitigated it by not filling it full of stevia and all that. So let's go through this one by one. Uh, why not just switch one pill? Then you, don't have to, then, then, then you don't have to worry about switching stuff out. Uh, I think he's trying to be super careful, put the exact number of pills in there. But, yeah, if you, you, if can you swap out one, one pill. pill. Here's the problem with that. It's just, then you don't know if you trigger an event if it's actually going to be the, the and time. And how many events does Hector have in a given month? How much time has he got till he starts taking over his dad's business? Like, I don't feel yeah. – I feel like the, Hector seemed pretty insistent that he wants his own thing. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that, that timetable on that's very short. So that's a risky strategy when you're playing with your dad's life and your own. Sure. Uh, why not may- wait for Hector to take a trip to the bathroom? Here's what you can do. You that can... seems like re- like like Hector's probably going to take a shit at least once. Or I, during I mean, his... you can guarantee you can make this happen. So you say 
uh, Don Hector, would you like some more espresso? And he and gives then, you the thumbs up. And then you, and then put you... the eye drops in there. <laughs> well, I was going to say, instead of giving him this little cup, you give him like a 64-ounce mug of it. <laughs> He'll go to the bathroom a sooner tall, or later. A yeah. Yeah, or you, or you put the you, you put the eye. Did you know the eye drops make people like shit their guts out? I didn't. Like a no. vanishing small amount of eye drops given in a liquid will. I guess it's like people have died because it wasn't. Yeah, that was actually a plot in Boardwalk Empire, the final season of Boardwalk Empire, wasn't it? Or the second, the final. Mm, I don't remember. You know, one of Eli's kids, like he was not fitting into college and he wanted to get back at somebody, so he like put some visine in their coffee, and the guy fucking shit his guts out, literally. No, that's Boardwalk Empire. Hell of a trip. Yeah. Uh, and All then, right. what do you think about the Brett's proposal about, um, uh, you know, not being there twenty four seven? I feel like that's the big, the, the the one big concern. And 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 you know what? This isn't a perfect plan. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is a very risky plan that Nacho is proceeding by the skin of his teeth because he's scared to death for his dad. And I, to me. The yeah. fact that there are holes and there are risky options sells the drama for me. Yeah. And yeah. makes it really super tense. Uh, I do think the bathroom idea is a good one, though. Yeah. Um, why not wait until he's gone? Yeah. Yeah. Unless he takes his coat to the bathroom. Well, but then play. what do you do if you, he goes in the bathroom and 30 seconds, just as you're rummaging through his coat, he comes out. Just like, did you know Francesco was like like browsing yeah. a Hawaii magazine? He's like, oh, uh, uh. well, yep. that's one thing for Kim to bust you browsing a travel log. But if Hector comes out and you're rifling through his coat pockets, yeah, nothing's risk-free when you're talking about ding-a-ling Salamanca here. So. It's true. Uh, Joe E., Notice how easy it is for Mike to earn more money than he knows how to launder. Walter White couldn't hit his target 700,000 number, 737,000 number, until Breaking Bad, episode 508. Breaking Bad with Mike and Walt situation would have been about three episodes until he had a million dollars and he could just kick his feet back. Mike is a much better criminal than Walt. It's even Walt's fault for killing Gus that Mike's money is found by the feds. All these is true. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, that's not a... The fact that Walt wasn't a great criminal, like, we think of him because of I'm the one who knocks and stay out of my territory and say my name. But, like, I even thought say my name was kind of silly because no one in that scene was taking Walt seriously. It's like, sure, Heisenberg, you're damn, you're goddamn right. Like, that was cool in Walt's head. It was not cool on the screen. I didn't think so anyway. I think Walt became a better criminal over time. But he was already in so deep that he couldn't dig himself out. Was he better of... or was he just ruthless? Like, uh, I, he got more ruthless, but I don't know. Well, that I that... think he got smarter with like um, the pest control stuff. I think was a really good yeah, idea. True. Um, he he had some really good inventive solutions to problems, but he dug himself so deep in the beginning that yeah. by the time he came up, by the time he understood how to operate, it was too late and. There was always the nagging problem of his pride. And he was learning. And that I mean, that's the thing. Like, Walt was interesting to watch because he was an amateur dabbling. Yeah. And getting lucky and, and getting by from his, on the skin of his teeth, unlike Gus, who carefully built this thing from the ground yeah. up. And, you know, in, everything was intent and he had everything, all of his I's dotted and T's crossed. Um, that, that was always the contrast. And Walt was able to outfight him, too. So. And Mike's a good criminal because he was a good cop. Yeah, you know that makes it a lot easier. And a dirty cop at at one point, yeah. So he got <laughs> he got like I was just saying, like he he was uh, both sides of the law. I feel like that's probably pretty good uh, yeah. experience for a mercenary type to have. 
Uh, are we ready for a legal corner? Yes. We have one that was sent in only by the name A Stupid Lawyer. Uh, they want to clarify some questions we had on insurance last episode. Uh, E&O, errors and omissions insurance, commonly called malpractice. I don't know if those are the same things, but I'm going with hmm. the stupid lawyer as he asserts it. Okay. Uh, you know, again, he's he's not so bright, so this could be all wrong. We'll have to see. Uh, can be written on an occurrence basis or a claims-made basis. Occurrence-based policies will cover an incident if uh, that is the base. That is the basis for the alleged malpractice if it occurred during the policy period. So, in other words, if I cancel my insurance effective December 31st and I'm sued on January 1 for something that happened December 20th, I'm covered. Hmm. However, claims-made policies depend on when the claim is made. If I cancel the policy effective December 31st and a claim is made on January 2nd for something that happened during the policy period, I'm not covered because I was not insured when the claim was made. I learned this the hard way. When I went from private private practice to government work, I canceled my E&O insurance. Only then that I learned that I had a claims-made policy and I had to pay for several years of additional coverage to cover me for the duration of the statute of limitations. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like good info. And I've never heard of – I mean, I've actually carried E&O insurance back when I was an independent contractor for, you know, tech because – <laughs> You know, it's easy to cost a company hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars through no, like, you know, not exactly for negligence. And, you know, it's like uh, Avon Barksdale said on the wire, how you always going to be not slow and how you always going to be perfect and how you never going to make a mistake. Well, that's what, you know, is for. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I feel like the claims made is a bullshit deal, though. Yeah, sure. Like, why are we allowed? Why the fuck would you get? Is it cheaper? Like, what's the what's the? I don't know. I mean, it just shifts the the time period, right? So, like, let's say you practice law for two years with no insurance, uh huh, and then you go get your claims made uh, insurance after the, fa- after the fact oh. to cover you for stuff that you might have done right. two years ago. Like, like, like you're you're winging it, and you're right. you know you're not. It's, it's like now you want to get right with the okay. Okay. Whereas, you know, with the the other version, you got to pay for those two years, but right. then afterward, you're you're covered for two years if you stop right. it or whatever. Or if you're doing small stuff and like you know, it's like you don't really think you need you know, but then you go into something bigger and like, oh boy, I can afford it now. What would happen if something came back? And yeah. Just now they can get the upset. business I built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got money. I got I got I got sumi bait. <laughs> right. Uh, if you got so. nothing to lose, I guess. Who cares right. about the insurance? I know though, some some of the independent contractors uh, mocked me for do- getting E and O because they said it was sumi bait. Like the fact okay. that you have it and there's something there that they can come after is dumb because if they know it's just you and you've only got what's just in your a uh, 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 bank account and your house and your car, it's less incentive for companies. And I'm like, I, that seems like it's a really big risk. Yeah, I mean, E and O ain't that expensive. Right. If it's not that expensive and it protects all of your personal property. Yeah. It, it's like, well, why wouldn't those, you run an LLC? Several of those guys like, have very inventive ways of calculating federal income tax oh, as I well. Bet. So <laughs> yeah. everyone's, everyone's threshold for risk is different. Yeah. Uh, Doug L., uh, mm-hmm. has uh, two things he wants to talk about. Commercial copyright being first. Jimmy tries and fails to uh, bully Los Scalar Hermanos. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. We left that joke on a table two weeks running. Yeah, that's a good Doug one. Doug snapped it up. Good job, Doug. Let's get with the Sklar brothers and make a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they ought to fucking do that. They should, yeah. They ought to fucking do that. 
um, by claiming the commercial he shot as a Saul Goodman Productions intellectual property. And he's right. The general rule is that an author owns the copyright to his or her own creative works. When someone is paid to create something as a work for hire, then the person or company laying out the money owns the copyright, since that's what they are buying. But that only applies to employees as an independent contractor. SGP would retain the copyright to a commercial. Jimmy... Excuse me. Jimmy gave the commercial to a music store as a freebie to entice them to buy more. The implied license to use a commercial is is revocable by Jimmy because the music store did not pay any consideration for it. Therefore, Jimmy Hmm. can indeed prevent the music store from copying the commercial by rebroadcasting it over and over. I want to know how wedding photographers justify... That's clearly a work for a hire. You give a guy a couple grand or whatever to come take pictures of your wedding, and then he still somehow retains copyright over the negatives. Is that just something they negotiate because they can? Because I always felt like fucking double highway robbery. Yeah. Like, uh, I pay you, want you another print? I pay you a steep price to come and take these pictures, and then I need to buy things from you on a per print basis? Yeah. How's the work? I mean, feels like a racket. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they can do it because they can do it. Yeah, if that's the contract you sign, and it's so it's so mafia too because they're not they're not above using the whole like oh sure you can get your brother or cousin to do it but right uh what are you gonna do get married again if they screw up the pictures (laughs) like would it be be a shame if they got the exposure settings wrong like do they carry malpractice insurance. (laughs) That's what I want to know because I'm going to sue your ass when the I've pictures met, I've are met shit. A, quite a few photographers. I doubt it. <laughs> uh, anyway, I shouldn't. I'm a podcaster. I can't talk shit about anybody. Uh, individual liability for a state worker. Later in the episode, Jimmy weasels out of his community service by threatening to personally sue the supervisor for his conduct. That threat is hollow because the state of New Mexico would be liable for any tort committed by its employees acting in the scope of their employment, which this guy obviously was. Mm-hmm. Therefore, even if Jimmy and the Mug Mealer were to sue this guy, the state would step in, defend him, and write any check if there was a verdict against him. Thus, all the talk about the case being expensive and bankrupting the employee is meaningless since it's the state of New Mexico who would be footing the bill. There are exceptions to this rule, but none that I could find that would likely apply given the facts as presented. So this means Jimmy did what he does best. He bluffed, and the state employee folded. Sure. Yeah, I never thought there were any teeth to the, the threat. I do want to add that like, if... If the New Mexico state has some kind of employee handbook that specifies how you're supposed to treat uh, the people under your care and if like what you're supposed to do if there's an absence or what you're supposed to do if someone has an injury and the employee doesn't follow it, I wonder if there's a way that they could shed that liability. Probably. Like, hey, we got a policy when a person's hurt, you're supposed to fill out this form and you're supposed to send them home and you're supposed to write down the time and you're supposed to inform a supervisor and they decide whether to count. And if he just just decides to fucking, you know, rule this parking lot like a king or this bridge underpass like a king, Mm -hmm. maybe he can get in trouble that way. But again, I'm not a lawyer. Doug is. Maybe he'll have some more commentary next week. Uh, Hey, got something exciting. That's it? Honest to God spoiler section. Oh, okay. Very brief, and it concerns a filming location that an Albuquerque native uh, gave us some inside info. But it is a spoiler, so I want to let everybody know that if you want um, something that could possibly spoil the next two episodes, you might want to bail now. Uh, Otherwise... Come on in because it's it's pretty low key. Yeah, so that'll be after time? after the music, I guess the the outro music. You're the producer, man. What do you think? That's what we do. So yeah. All right. Is that it? 
That's it. All right. Well, send, we'll send, see you guys send next Send feedback week. into bettercastall at baldmove.com. Of course, you can follow everything that we do on our social media. Um, well, our website, baldmove.com, but also social media, facebook.com slash baldmove or Instagram or Twitter at baldmove. Mm-hmm. Um, we will see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. We're back with the spoiler section. What like what that. is this? You're you're all juiced up. <laughs> what uh, is this supposed spoiler you've got? My name is Tony, and I have lived in the Albuquerque region for the past three years now. Sometime in late February 2017, I was driving to work, just after binging season one of Better Call Saul. The traffic was the worst it has ever been, and that's when I noticed an apartment complex that had been changed into the front of Sandpiper Crossing. There were cop cars, a film crew, and Bob Odenkirk just out in front of the lobby. I can only assume that this means it will show up in the last three episodes of the season. It just seems like a plot point that is quite dead. What hmm. do you think could bring Sandpiper back into the plot? Yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? So I, since I had some time to think about this, and you haven't, um, I can offer some suggestions and see what you think of them. Okay. Number one, flashback. To uh-huh. when Jimmy was an effective and compassionate elder call, call elder care lawyer, mm-hmm. to contrast with what I assume the final two episodes are going to be his descent into, you know, Saul Saul Goodman is. It could even be a Gene flashback, right? Like Gene thinking about his mistakes and where he went wrong, flashing back to Sandpiper saying, "I had it all." Hmm. Yeah, but a flat. It could be a flashback. <laughs> okay. Yeah. An, an, a, a slightly darker possibility is Jimmy is exploiting the elderly people's trust in him to do some kind of Saul Goodman uh, scam. Oh, boy. Taking advantage of the, the elderly. Yeah, I mean, that would be... That'd be the real fall from grace, in my opinion. I mean, it's going to... That's the thing, like, get... Prepare your hearts and buttholes, because... There, Vince Gilligan is coming for them both. Like, if you have uh-huh. affection for Jimmy, presumably it's really going to hurt when he falls to. I mean, they they want it to hurt. They want it to hurt. I mean, as fun as it's going to be to see slipping Jimmy, and as fun as it's going to be to see, like, to whatever extent we see Saul Goodman being sleazy, Saul Goodman, the cost is we have to destroy the good man that is Jimmy McGill to get there. Yeah, and. I can see a perfect storm of tragedy where his brother's ready to reconcile and his, you know, him and his girlfriend, Kim, have gotten to a stable place and he fucks it all up and then completes his fall to the dark side, which is kind of like, you know, um, his speech to Marco was a bit of a villain speech. What What exactly... About Just, it. You know, you're 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 talking about your presumably dead father being a soft touch and like everybody taking a loser and take advantage and he's weak because he couldn't do. I mean, that's like something you'd hear in a Scorsese film. Okay, yeah. You know, my old man's from the old country, but he he never he was too too proud and too he never would would get his fingers into the pie and his beaks in the wet <laughs> and you know he wasn't he's just just weak. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just. What I'm saying. Like, that's that's felt like, felt like something you see here. Joe Pesci say or yeah, Robert De Niro say. Okay. Out in Las Vegas sometime, probably neck deep in hookers, and blow. 
<laughs> this time it was just Marco in a Band-Aid box. But it could have been. It could have been. been Hookers and Blow, yeah. It could have been Hookers and Blow. Uh, that's all I got for Sploy, but I, I I thought it was cool, and thank you, Tony, for sending in the inside information. Like, um, I have no idea what's Sandpiper, but I I guarantee it's not going to be good. Yeah, it it's can't not. Be. It's not going to be. We're not going to feel good at the end of. It. We're not going to feel like, oh, Jimmy, oh, it's flash forward a year, and he's back at practice now. Or like, that's the one thing I think it will not be. Yeah. All right, uh, and that's all we got. Uh, we've already done the outro, so yep. have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.